our second guest here uh, today, and that's Tina Luongo, who is the chief defender of the criminal practice at the Legal Aid Society. Tina, you on the line? I am. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Max and Murphy. So uh, talk to us about, you know, we've, we've touched on this before and a lot of other journalists have too, but from your perspective, what is the criminal justice reform agenda facing Albany? Tick off for us kind of the big items on it. Sure. So certainly the, the three big items that are most talked about, but certainly are not the only ones, but the big ones are uh, discovery reform, um, bail reform, and speedy trial reform. And talk a little bit about uh, each of those. I mean, bail, I think people understand that it's about getting rid of cash bail, but the discovery and the speedy trial for folks who aren't initiated, what exactly is on the table? So discovery reform, just just to give a little background about what that even means, right? So it's the turning over of evidence, um, and it is the mutual exchange, not just one side, but the mutual exchange of evidence uh, in the case, um, uh, statements of witnesses, police reports, right? The things that you might imagine uh, you need. Um, In a civil matter, uh, those things are handed over very early. You're able to take depositions, right? So when money is involved, uh, our discovery is free-flowing, um, and the parties exchange right away. When it comes to the criminal legal system, and when, unfortunately, someone's liberty is at stake or they are being asked to take a plea, um, our current law that's been on the uh, on the books um, for many years uh, does not require the district attorney to turn over anything until trial. Uh, And when you think about how many of our clients are pleading guilty and how many people are pleading guilty in our courts in New York State, you might imagine sometimes you don't even see any of the evidence because it's not required in those in those instances. So discovery reform is is a very real thing. And there is a coalition of over 60 organizations that are uh, are rooted in the communities that are actually being disserviced uh, in unjustly because of the law, uh, really doing the push this year to get that done. Speedy trial. Many people uh, know about speedy trial actually from the tragedy and the failure of the criminal legal system uh, in the young man, Khalif Browder. You know, there is no sort of speedy trial, really, if you think about it in New York State. We have a, a law currently that allows for a lot of exceptions and a lot of uh, ways in which the district attorneys can stop the clock um, or that the defense may need an adjournment. Um, and so certainly nothing is speedy. And when you think about um, all of these together, right, when you think about sort of the comprehensiveness of this, you have bail being set on somebody that then has to make a decision but can't because they don't have the evidence. But they are pressured by the fact that they'd like to get out of jail in New York City. That would mean Rikers. Um, and those three things create an enormous injustice for the, for the people who are impacted. 
Right. They, they sort of they sort of work together in that sense. So th- these issues have been talked about for a number of years in New York City and in the state. And after the elections of last fall, there seemed a sense that there was a real chance to to act on all of them. Um, at least that was what um, kind of the popular take on the Democrats win and control of the state Senate was. As the year was beginning, what were your hopes? Um, did you assume it was going to be a, a slam dunk? Um, did you think it was going to be an uphill battle. Uh, what were your expectations coming into 2019? Well, they were certainly hopeful, and I, I, you know, perhaps I'm glass half full. I, I still think Albany can get this done. I think there is a moral imper- imperative, um, and there is a driving force of the impacted communities that are raising this not only here in New York as a critical need, but across the nation uh, in terms of of a legal system that has really been oppressive for far too long. So I'm hopeful that this is going to get done. Um, I think what has to happen is that, you know, particularly the Assembly and the Senate have to get together and work out uh, work out what is best reform, right? You know, it's one thing to have quick reform. It is another to have reform that is is in the right direction and and is actually uh, comprehensive, um, and that's what we're going for here. So and they're real, hopeful and and they're real, right? Well, they're, they're I was gonna, I was going to say they're they're right. there are very real concerns about the shape of some of these policies. At least I know we did a you know a deep dive on this at Gotham Gazette in terms of bail reform, where there's a lot of you know cautionary flags being raised about what exactly the right way to do bail reform is, and I'm sure that's the case with the others, but. Um, you know, it's not as simple as, oh, everybody agrees that cash bail is discriminatory. It's it's what you know, what's the rest of the picture? Right. And I and I, and I think that there is, there are um, very good pieces, each of these reforms that will move in the right direction for the most people. So when we're talking about ending cash bail, you can't substitute dangerousness and hold in everybody without bail and uh, pre-trial and just detain them, right? Uh, there has got to be a movement in the right direction. When we're talking about discovery, there's got to be a movement in the right direction that you're handing over the stuff early enough so that it matters to the person who needs to take a plea and to the defense attorney who needs to advise. When we're talking about speedy trial, it's moving in the right direction in that um, if there is no case, right, if the case has fallen apart for the prosecutor, that person is released, that case is dismissed, and it's not hanging over their head, right? When we're talking about parole reform, we're moving in the right direction. When we're talking about um, things that are 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 set in our system to improve the due process for everybody, that's moving in the right direction. Of course, there's opposition, right, to the moving in the right direction. We are very frustrated by the district attorneys continuing to say in one breath they're for reform, but then understanding that they are walking the halls up in Albany, sort of, uh, you know, fear-mongering to the extent where let's just get together, let's talk about moving in the right direction. Um, for instance, on discovery, there are already safety mechanisms placed in the, all the current versions that are right now being talked about that will protect uh, um, victims. Um, there, 
right now, actually, uh, a district attorney could walk in and get a protective order. Right now, in Brooklyn, uh, unlike the other four uh, counties in New York City, uh, Eric Gonzalez does, and uh, two district attorneys before him have done, um, done discovery reform themselves by voluntarily doing it. That's a good point. Um, and he has recently come out and said uh, that he's in favor. Texas has given discovery. Uh, right, Texas <laughs> did it. Um, and they did it after someone was wrongfully convicted. Uh, and because they were wrongfully convicted, the, the sort of person who did commit the crime went and killed somebody else. Um, and so uh, Texas made it uh, made it a a move. And actually, the DAs in Texas have actually written op-eds and actually written letters of support to say, hey, New York, we've done this. This is okay. You can do this as district attorneys and still be rooted uh, in your main task uh, to provide public safety. So there's a moment. The conversation has to still continue and we have to move in the right direction. So you, you've referenced, I think, some of the answers to my next question in, in your previous uh, answer, but I want to focus on that. So what is the nature of, there is this sense that there's a holdup, that something's being stymied, and what is your picture of exactly what is going on? Is it a debate about what is the right way to do it? Is it a debate about reform or not reform uh, that's being driven by fear monitoring? Is it just that this is falling down the list of legislative priorities during a busy year? Like, What is your picture of, of kind of what's going on in Albany. I don't think it's the latter, right? I don't think it's deprioritizing. I think everybody is prioritized on getting it done. Do I think that some members um, uh, are worried about uh, and are thinking about sort of the stories that the district attorneys are talking about um, to sort of bring fear? I'm sure they're worried about that. Uh, But I really do think that it's a moment of getting together and figuring out what the right right reform is so that we are leading um, in the country and not where we've been, which is far behind lots of places. So I do think that that's what it is. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, a, it's these three, um, again, it's these three very main reforms, but there's a comprehensive package. Free New York, which is a coalition that's been driving a lot of the reform efforts um, throughout the state, came up with Justice Roadmap, which is a very comprehensive, it talks about parole reform, it talks about other sentencing reform. Um, you know, I, there's a totality here, a comprehensiveness that, that I really believe that people need to see and the system needs to have. Um, And I think that that's also why uh, we're at a place where it's taken a lot more time than what, look, what we all hope, which would have been um, getting it right, getting it right, done right now. But I do think everybody's got to continue to talk and, and get in the right place. And that's not always easy in Albany. So sometimes a criminal justice reform is is 
primarily statutory, you know, change a law and something is illegal or is is no longer illegal. But I'm curious on these reforms if there is a potential like resource impact. You know, if you end cash bail and need to erect some sort of pretrial supervision system, does that necessitate the creation of um, some government program or some spending? Is speedy trial, does that require merely the imposition of a rule or are we going to need more judges to make sure that they can handle the volume and so when one goes on vacation, the system doesn't shut down as it seems to now. What do you think about that? Is this just about kind of changing the rules or will there need to be some spending and some investment in making the system that's created work? Yeah, there's, this is not just, you know, moving a comma or crossing a T. Uh, this is systemic reform. So it does require resources and significant resources to get this done and make sure that it's not just uh, done uh, for the sake of changing it on the books, but that it has the effect that it intended to have on the people that need it the most, right? Which are the people who are being impacted and family members who are being impacted. So uh, there is resources uh, that are going to have to come behind this. I am sure that that is part of the conversation. Um, as it should be, because everybody knows you cannot have an unfunded mandate here. It has to be a seismic shift. Let me come back to something um, that you mentioned, which was, you know, this idea that uh, you can't end cash bail and replace it with a dangerousness metric. And then you have a lot more people being locked up pretrial. Outline uh, for us, if you can, what the what the system should look like. What is the bar? Is there a bar for, uh, you know, pretrial uh, detainment? Uh, is Should it be only alleged violent incidences? You know, what, what should the system look like? And obviously there's questions about, you know, supervised release and electric monitoring. You know, where do some of those pieces come into your ideal picture? So public defender of the largest and oldest public defense organization in New York City. So you might imagine, uh, you might imagine what my take is, which is um, as many people as we can possibly do, we need to decarcerate, right? Like we're not just talking about a little reduction, we're talking about a big reduction, particularly here in New York City where we're having the conversation consistent with closing Rikers and what, and what no jails mean or small jails. Um, and so that has got to be the focus, right? So release as many people as possible, ensuring that if somebody is held in on uh, a sort of pretrial detention, that there is a due process hearing where there's live witnesses um, and that we're protecting the presumption of innocence, not just for um, people who are charged with low-level offenses, but regardless of charge, right? Um, It's still that presumption of innocence rooted for everybody. Um, And, you know, I think that's obviously where um, minds are going to differ, right? And we get that. Uh, But again, if we're doing it right and we are doing it with the intention of sort of undoing what is historically sort of an imposition of a bail system that is rooted in the have and have not, if you have money, you get out. If you are black and brown and poor, you do not. Um, It cannot have any wealth-based or race-based disparities. And so I think that's the thing. In terms of uh, electronic monitoring, that is in many of the proposals, and the reality of that is that's carceral just as much um, as a, a sort of jail cell is, but 
Um, and so when you're looking at that, you have to look at it from the same frame, right? It, it, it's not like just release everybody and then put them on ankle bracelets where you're confining their restrictions to their home. Um, so it's the same thing. Like, what's the matrix there and, and who is going to be on it and what are the due process requirements that get put into that system to ensure that we're not doing 10 years from now, we're not saying we just created another problem. Uh, so that and those are the the things that make uh, that make the conversation around bail um, pretty complicated. It's complicated, yeah, absolutely. Um, two quick follow ups on that. One, do you do you believe in supervised release? I mean, is that is that something that you you think is you know uh, okay and and should be expanded in a, in a bail reform? I think that pretrial services, so when we talk about supervised release, mm-hmm. we really talk about this notion of pretrial services. I do think that an expansion of pretrial services, particularly, I'm not only the chief defender here in New York, but I'm the president of the Chief Defenders Association for the Chiefs of New York State. Um, and there are very little li- little resources for pretrial services for counties upstate. Um, and that is fundamentally unfair. We have got to build that out. Here in New York City, yes, we have supervised release. Many of our clients benefit from having that option. Um, the question for us in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where we move away from cash bail and we are releasing people uh, on low-level misdemeanors, nonviolent felonies, and as many people on other, other charges, right, as possible, what does supervised release look like and making sure it's not net widening? Um, and that's always been the concern, right, is that when we do, again, it's about right reform, when we make these changes... We make them so that we are not creating unintended other obstacles that are also life uh, life altering and devastating right. for, for clients. And and just um, take us inside uh, one of those proceedings um, that you mentioned—a due process, you know, uh, proceeding. What would be something? That would be said at one of those that you think would be valid for pretrial detention. Give, give us give us an example, sort of to take people you know who are unfamiliar, sort of inside a circumstance like that. Well, I think that the hearing itself is is going to be critical, right? Because there, the prosecutor is going to have to demonstrate why this person should be held in without any bail and what that means, right? And what that means, uh, and they're going to have to hand over, by the way, uh, information and in in. In uh, the right reform here, in terms of ensuring due process, is there's not an exchange of paper, right? Uh, which, by the way, happens in other jurisdictions, where you have this hearing, but all it is is uh, the, the district attorney turning over the paperwork. Um, here, we really need to do this right in New York State. It has to be live witnesses coming in. If we're going to hold somebody in without any without any bail uh, for what is the pendency of the the matter until there's a plea or trial. Like, no, you should be doing that with live witnesses, right? So, you know, as I sit here and I could sort of envision what that's like is the ability to be able to cross-examine a witness, the ability to be able to have the paperwork and the discovery, again, leading to to why discovery reform is also critical when we're talking about bail reform, Um, and making sure that... that the bar is set high because what we are talking about is taking somebody's liberty away. And we have done that too 
unfortunately cavalier in this state for way too long. Um, and many clients, uh, ha- and when you hear the, the, the stories of impacted people talking about their time being held in or what families have to do to try to pull together very, very little resources and make the, diff- the choice between uh, rent and bailing out their, fam- their loved one. And sometimes they can't do that. They have got to make the rent. Um, otherwise, the family is homeless. That's the stuff we have to make sure that we do away with. But what we replaced it with is something that's fair and just. So a final question. We have about a minute left with Tina Luongo from the uh, Legal Aid Society. This is an impression I have heard. It's not one I necessarily hold. But folks have said, a few to me, that uh, to some degree, the changes that we seek are already happening without these statutory changes. The Rikers population is decreasing. The number of arrests is dropping. The use of bail is declining. Some DAs, as you noted earlier, are moving on their own to make these changes, and some have for several years. Um, what what do you say to folks who would argue, uh, look, the, the statutory changes may come or may not, but but this is, in the end, this is going to come down to prosecutorial discretion in a lot of cases, and it seems as though something has taken, taken hold that is pushing the system in the right direction anyway. Look, there's no doubt that New York City has done a great amount of reform. I, I sort of want to pat the public defenders a little bit uh, on the back for that. But there are others involved. Obviously, we're at the table with lots of stakeholders making those reforms happen. First of all, let's recognize that does not happen for every, every county in our state. And we are a county-based state, right? So things are sort of applied differently. Every district attorney does it differently. Look at New York City. Four DAs, they know, uh, particularly I practice in Manhattan. Uh, you don't get the you don't get the evidence until trial, right? Um, and and haven't for many years versus Brooklyn. And so you have to standardize this stuff. The other thing is you ha- it is too much discretion for prosecutors. Um, and while some are reform uh, um, minded, many are not. Uh, and uh, so it's time for us to, as a state, come together and say our laws have got to require it. Um, And look, you know, the sort of reality of our situation is it'll only make us better. So if we're on the right track now and we get laws that are uh, rooted in justice and they're the right reforms, we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction and we can boast about that. Tina Luongo from the Legal Aid Society, the uh, chief of the uh, criminal defenders there. Thank you so much for joining us on Max and Murphy. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So we're coming to the end of our show, and this is the part where I wish we had a second hour because we would talk about things like Mayor de Blasio heading to New Hampshire, where I hear there is this presidential primary every few years, uh, the debate about downstate casinos, uh, Jumani Williams presiding as public advocate-elect, apparently, over his first city council-stated meeting, uh, and you moderated a Queen's DA forum yes, last, last night. Yes, last night. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just say briefly, you know, there's seven candidates tonight now running for Queen's DA, I believe all in the Democratic primary. I don't think any other candidates have emerged. We had six of the seven. Um, the seventh was sick and out. Um, I won't even go into any details. We'll, we're we're going to have to spend half a show or a show on this race at some point. Um, but the primary is June 25th. So folks in Queens, you got to get ready to vote for a new Queens district attorney. Well, it, this is the first competitive Queens DA race in decades. 
and it will be the first new Queens DA since 1991. So this is a huge race. Um, I, I had a great uh, night uh, co-moderating the debate. We'll talk about it another time, but folks should start paying attention to that race who are in Queens. Something else to pay attention to, I'll say quickly, is that there is a meeting happening as we speak, but you could still get to it in time, about the Army Corps of Engineers plan for coastal defenses for New York. There's a series of eight meetings going on. You can find out about them at citylimits.org, but if you want something to do tonight, there's a meeting at the South Shore Educational Complex, 6565 Flatlands Avenue, right here in Brooklyn. So go hear about the plan to create a big seawall and other, other measures. other meetings will, will be uh, on Plenty of other meetings yes. are on the calendar, yes, if you missed tonight. If you but, don't get to run out right now. Right. <laughs> the storm <laughs> is not, the storm is not imminent. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Max and Murphy. Thanks to Reggie for producing the show. To Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. on listener-sponsored non-commercial radio here from Brooklyn. Thanks for listening and have a great week in the greatest city in the world. Mm-hmm.